Hello, everybody. Um, my name is Tigran Haas, and I'm a guest here at the Urbanistica podcast with Mustafa Sharif, uh, the number one podcast in Nordic countries and beyond. Uh, and uh, we have discussed in the second hour an interesting discussion about um, the urban transformations we see and the new paradigms in city making, uh, specifically uh, five, 15 minute city, one minute city, and everything associated with that, different approaches to rebuilding neighborhoods within the umbrella of uh, sustainable development goals, SDGs, of course. Uh, also, uh, the discussion uh, is unavoidable when it comes to new hyper ideas of new cities being built around the world. And one of those 10 prominent cities being built is, uh, of course, the, the line, the new uh, uh, city in Saudi Arabian Kingdom, which is supposed to house around 6 million people. Uh, and, uh, of course, do these models have a future? What are they based on and what are maybe the necessities or uh, the strategies that should be employed on the ground when it comes to development of urbanism in, in such countries like Saudi Arabia or the Gulf region? And of course, uh, again, most difficult things, what is expected in the future and what kind of takeaways do we have? So uh, it's been a pleasure to be here and I'm based also, I forgot to say, based on the School of Architecture and Built Environment here in Stockholm former director of the Center for Future Places, uh, and uh, I'm also associated with the Leventhal Center for Advanced Urbanism at MIT. Thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif, an urban planner, and you're more than welcome to join my big journey of exploring the making of smarter and more livable cities. Please don't forget to follow Urbanistica on the different social media platforms and also let's connect on LinkedIn. Big thanks to Urbanistica podcast partner, AFRI. AFRI is an international engineering and design company providing sustainable solutions in the fields of energy, industry, and infrastructure. Are you ready for a new episode? Let's go for it. So, Professor, now we're gonna you're gonna comment on the different concepts within urbanism. Yeah, <laughs> but you you told me like you you love theory. Why? I'll do my best. I can. Well, you know, this is interesting. We had a this interesting discussion in one of the Engelsberg seminars while we worked for the Foundation Axel and Johnson Foundation. This wonderful series of Engelsberg seminars covering different aspects of political science, uh, military studies, history, urban city research. And once we had a different, uh, wonderful discussion about the North Station, Nora Station, here, which uh, is a baby of Alexander Volodarsky, right? Um, uh, which is being built now as we, as we talk. And we've seen the towers from MoMA being erected and have been erected and so on. And uh, there was a very heated, interesting discussion. We had all the key professors from urban design over there, from Lund, from Chalmers, from KTH, a number of practitioners, U.S. colleagues. And my colleague, uh, I think somebody, I, somebody brought it and, oh, we need a new theory to explain what's going on. And Emily Taylor, who's a professor of uh, urbanism at the University of Chicago right now, the famous Division of Social Sciences, one of the best in the world, where Saskia Sassen was, she said, no, absolutely not. We already have Kevin Lynch, we have Gordon Cullen, we have Christopher Alexander, we have Jane Jacobs. And then I said, no, Emily, I do not believe in that. 
Uh, Adel Santos once said, who was the dean of the School of Architecture at MIT and ran the LCO Center for a while, she said, we need new theories. We can't rely just on these old theories because the world is changing. And this is an applied social science. This is not, you know, uh, my late father, he in theoretical physics, especially in philosophy of science, he knew all the people. Uh, he worked with, with, with those best in the U.S. and one of them was Thomas Kuhn. He was very critical of his paradigms. But uh, I'm not critical of the paradigms, paradigm shifts in social sciences. And they are sort of, when you look at them, exactly. So I'm not saying we should have a theory every year. But comes a crucial sort of momentum or a critical mass when you see yeah. there, we can't explain this anymore. And this is why Rem Kulhas was very good in explaining very complex and, and very transformative time. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have your own theory about future cities? No. Wow. If I did that, I would be probably signing books somewhere now. In, <laughs> well, we don't have any bookstores book anymore, but I will be signing an Amazon online. No. Uh, I mean, you, you worked a lot with urbanism and you, you're in love with theories. So you didn't develop a, like a future cities? No, but I, this is something that I'm trying, working on now. I've been maybe, let's say, a little bit lazy, but I, I had this uh, epiphany or this uh, uh, sort of uh, some kind of a light came in when I was, I was a very much card-carrying urbanist uh, for a number okay. of years, uh, especially, and then I kind of paid a heavy price with the architectural schools because of that. I still believe in the principles and, of course, in their charter. Can you give us, like, a highlight? Sure. I mean, urbanism was a movement that came the end of the 70s, more or less prominent in the 80s uh, in the U.S., a movement built of uh, urban planners, sociologists, urban designers, architects as um, counter- uh, uh, force and as a criticism to the sprawling communities in the U.S., to the development of edge cities, of external shopping centers, to the over-dominance of the automobile, to the uh, diminishing um, uh, structures of neighborhoods, uh, to, to the non-existence of the 15-minute city, uh, to the pedestrian pockets being destroyed and so on. So it was that that it came... Yeah and gain momentum. And of course, there was an ecological perspective and also social housing perspective. The biggest program built in history of housing in the U.S. was done under the auspices of urbanism. It was the HOPE 6, HOPE, uh, Housing Opportunities for Everyone. Uh, and uh, it, it took, in a way, even if you look at it in percentages, a very small percentage in the architectural world, but it took the world by storm by this neo-traditional idea of transport-oriented development and neo-traditional uh, uh, neighborhood planning. Uh, criticized by the architectural schools for, for the lack of uh, architectural quality uh, because it was very much you know based on classical and traditional models that was being too ideological um famous article by david harvey on the communitarian trap that it uh, really played with people's emotions that, that it designed communities that were supposed to be you know environmentally deterministic that you if you build you're going to live by the way the rules and seaside was one of those typical yeah. examples but it evolved during the years and it got more, became urban infills, worked more with the city. But of course, it produced new suburban mm -hmm. redevelopments. Yeah. So you were a believer on? I was a believer of principles. And I liked it because it was based on the ideas of Christopher Alexander, Jane Jacobs, all the people that I, as an urbanist, liked a lot. And I, you know, as a researcher, tried to look into it. And I, I mean, some strange ways find my found myself defending it and of course we we did the biggest new urbanism conference after the harvard 99 2004 new urbanism beyond in kth that will never be repeated again five days with uh, 
35 top people. Jane Jacobs couldn't come because of her frail health, but I was in contact with her. Christopher Alexander forgot to come because he was a weird, strange guy. But then I met him in Providence two years after that. And basically, for Urban uh, Mano Castell says the, 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 the brightest urban minds were assembled in Stockholm wow. during that week. Amazing. That's, that's one of my yeah, you know, yeah. greatest products in a way, Mustafa. And, and that kind of became now a normal middle of the road thing. Nobody talks about new urbanism anymore. They're also been baked into new urbanism. They've been, you know, and then new urbanism also transformed a number of young people left and started to work with tactical urbanism with pop-up cities, Mike Leiden and his colleagues, which were part of CNU, Congress for New Urbanism. I left new urbanism almost uh, a decade ago, let's say. So, or maybe eight years ago. So it's- So you don't, you, we don't hear people talk about this anymore? No, no. it's not interesting anymore. <laughs> but like what makes a, a concept become so viral? You know, like, let's say now, recently like one minute city two minute city there are so many like uh, one line city you know like i think many of us has uh, ideas and concepts i mean in urbanism it was not an easy thing it was a movement of course brought to the signing of the charter and i think is i can't remember the the exact quote that Stephen Biko said, a great uh, civil rights advocate that was killed in South Africa during apartheid. And I think Stephen said this, there's a beautiful quote saying that there's almost nothing uh, impossible to do when you have a dedicated group of people that have a strong belief and a passion for something. This is what urbanism, that was a group of people with maybe two or three prominent figures. And now this thing with, with all these new names, you know, we had, I think there was an article by uh, uh, Jonathan Barnett from UPenn, 200 urbanisms. You know, we have, everything's almost like an urbanism, but when you start to dig in underneath it, Michael Speaks, who was the dean of the school, and I don't know where he is right now, he was in Kentucky, he's moved. He said one, in one of the debates in University of Michigan, which I, was, which I attended, he said, out of all these urbanisms, all these paradigms, there's only one. And he was not a pro-new urbanism. He said, this is new urbanism. And they asked him, why? And he said, because it has strong principles that it's being built on. It has an organization. It has membership. It's like, it's, it's a formal. That's right. It's like, it has schools where you, you know, there were two or three schools that actually had programs in new urbanism. Uh, Card-carrying members. It has a me- it developed methodologies. It's produced books and papers. So when people ask, you know, is urban design a discipline? Of course it is. It, because he has a, you know, what is a discipline? A discipline by definition is if a number of credible academics and practitioners are able to uh, agree upon something and there's a common thing and that's what it is. So uh, in that sense, that was easy for that movement sprung like, like landscape urbanism came from academia. From, from, uh, but in, in these other things we see it's propelled from a combination of a single person coming up with an idea and offering it to a city to a very you know forward looking mayor to a to a progressive mayor or a progressive city official a city planner you could see that happening when you had the re re re, re uh, restructuring of the times uh, the new york times square uh, where it, you know from the automobile dependent became a Yangelian yeah. public space. Then you have also in Curitiba where you have the, the great mayor. Then you, then you have the same thing now in Paris with Hidalgo, right? Yeah. In Stockholm now you have with, with the one with Dan Hill, who was sort of not a mayor, but a very strong figure in a strong think tank or, or consultancy yeah. and then planning office. So do you consider this as a like a concept or schools for urbanism? Like- um, 
I, I'm not sure if they're going to influence the schools. Uh, the biggest difference between the 15-minute, one-minute, and these things that we have now, they seem on surface, or they are actually, uh, ideology-free. This is why they're accepted by a larger community. What, what does it mean? New urbanism was very much ideologically colored. It was attacked either from left or right. It was saying, when we're saying these are communists, working you in habitat in the US, and you know, sort of from neo, the, the sort of the Trumpists, this, they would say, well, these are communists. And then the leftists and, and the geographers saying this is a, you know, right wing movement of, you know, all, the, all these hardcore people doing suburban communities for rich Republicans in Florida. Uh, and it was in a way because of this spatial determinism, uh, the way the architecture came out to be. Uh, in yeah. the beginning, they were all very, you know, programmed. You had catalogs, how you're supposed to build buildings, gables, roofs, porches, all that things. Yeah. Uh, so the, the ideology seems to be kind of clinically removed from 15 minute, one minute, any kind of a uh, 20 minute neighborhoods, all the Australians, UK, Swedish models that we see right so now. So it's easy to adapt, to take it. Yeah, if you say I'm, I'm pro, oh, how could you be? Who could attack you, Mustafa? You say, oh, I'm pro walking, cycling, having services close by, having all the amenities, having enjoying in nature and health. So you're using the same apparatus that has been used, but in a way kind of uh, detached from politics. Yeah. It's all urban politics at the end. But like like you say, school, schools will not be affected by this. Do you mean like the content that school's teaching or no? No, I don't think there will be a master's program dedicated to a 15-minute city that will have only one paradigm. I, I'm not sure if I would like to see that. That means you were going to be teach people. And then the big question comes, and this is, you know, we could develop this very... Not, for, not even in 10 years? No, no, depends what we're going to have in 10 years. I'm, I'm not saying these concepts will disappear because we are... We started you know, with... We started with them, plus we, we, we realized we come to the turning point, to a juncture now. Either we fix our environments, yeah. we, we be, or otherwise we're going to, we're already, I think, past the, the midnight hour. I don't know where we're going right now. So at least we can maybe repair certain things. Although, as James Howard Counselor says always, you cannot repair mutilated urbanism by bringing nature into the city. Like, you know, the landscape, or we see these these incredible pictures where streets of London look like a jungle in Amazon. <laughs> I don't believe that's going to happen. Uh, you know, urbanism can only be fixed by better urbanism. Not by nature is great, but if you can bring it in a normal way, not sort of... So do you, do you believe in the new concept? Uh, I'm, I'm not against the one-minute or five-minute city, a 15-minute city. Uh, I think one needs more research on it. Uh, one thing is, I think those that advocated need to recognize peers that have done this before. Uh, if you look at the, if you go to Clarence Perry, 1929 uh, neighborhood model from uh, Cities of Machine, you'll find everything in the 15-minute city has. You had Doug Farr, who's worked on the ecological aspects of new urbanism. You'll find the same things. You'll find pedestrian sheds, pedestrian pockets, Doug Kelbaugh, and the American things. You'll find in Australia, similar models. Um, you'll find the realization of urban is that it's important with these shorter distances and it's important to recreate. The question is, which context are you putting, employing them? Uh, what kind of neighbors do you have? Uh, are you putting this in a suburban development? That's going to be extremely difficult to have a 15-minute city where you're still very much car-oriented. The structure of city inside Paris is very different from maybe the structure of Kharkiv in Ukraine or maybe Plovdiv in Bulgaria or Toronto. Sometimes you have skyscraper cities. Of course, you know, you can still have the 15-minute city idea there. 
but uh, it, it's before we become completely engulfed by it. Uh, one will have to look at it through, through thick lenses and wherever it's applicable, good, let's apply it. Although some things that I've seen from the one minute city remind me of some kind of a very dilapidated tactical urbanism pop-up. Yeah, it, it is a kind of, yeah. It is kind of, and then um, it's a little bit strange, you know, we don't call it that, you know, somehow we, Mustafa, we, we, we jump from the tactical is, is it like we rename and add just a little element? Sometimes we do it. That's what Rem Cole has, uh, has said. If we cannot come up with new theories, yeah. <laughs> at least come up with new names, and that's the easy <laughs> way to do it. And this is what Saskia Sassin, when I had a, uh, in the Dioris in Croatia, on our final three uh, panels, I had a big interview with her, and she said, you architects are like, you know, you just think you can come up with a new concept and that's going to be great. <laughs> she said it takes a long time. Like, for example, her projects are, as you mentioned in somebody else, and I forgot when we discussed the first hour, uh, that it takes time, it ends up in, in specific, like Seta, I think it was referred to Seta Lov. All these things in Saskia's thinking, they end up in interesting research findings and books, but it's a long process. And this is where urban sociologists, people from social science, are a little bit better than us, you know, from urban planning. We, we, we jump as soon as we, you know, open our mouths if somebody throws at a piece of bread or we see a fly. So, so like, do you, do you see that recently we have been, like, produced so many, too many concepts? And, and like, within urbanism? M maybe it was actually not so much in the last time, I would say. Okay. Like, compared to the previous years? Previous, you know, these things with 200 urbanism were not mentioned just in vain. A colleague of mine, Chris Trollson, and I, we did a paper based on the Kelbos three urbanisms. Ours was uh, saying that we have five urbanisms some 10 years ago. One was the, the traditional, the new urbanism, uh, the classical uh, sort of city building. Then we had this everyday urbanism, which was pop-up every day, yeah. all these things that we see. Then we have the whole cluster of green approaches, sustainable city, uh, biophilic city, green urbanism, sustainable urbanism, and so on and so forth. The fourth one is the star architecture, the so-called post-urbanism where you know see you've seen it you've traveled very much in the middle east in the gulf region we see it in many european cities where an architectural object defines space and creates a community in a way and then of course the fifth one would be the which we branded um based a little bit on the on the debates in michigan the re-urbanism one the conventional thing where we repair the city as it is looking at precedence or something in history but it doesn't sort of become a, like you know the north station that was one of our cases which is completely a re-urbanism one we, we have like two p parallel how to say one is like more uh, social oriented the other one more like twin cities smart city more tech oriented yes so like like what is your reflection like is it can we mix them should we mix them why there's always like tech or super social one minute city it's true. I mean, a whole different than you have experts talking about smart cities. That's a whole different discussion in a way. Uh, where are we right now at smart cities? Uh, I, I think still <clears throat> we have what I'm mostly worried about, and I like the um, sub-discipline of urban social geography, which just came sort of stemmed out from urban sociology. Uh, it's not just issues of justice, but it's also creating environments that are acceptable, livable, and, and decent for everybody. And housing is the epicenter of that. I think we have in the housing, we, we have a perpetual crisis in housing in Sweden. Nothing from the Million Program has ever been able to, you know, we can have all kinds of criticism of the Million Program. 
going to Tensta, Skarpnik, and all these places, and we can discuss the lack of public space and whatever it is. In Croatia and Zagreb, these modernist areas are almost culturally heritage protected. This is how good they are. In Czech Republic, outside of Prague, I visited these modernist areas. They're in fantastic shape. But here it's it's different. In some of these areas, you get this total segregation, and then you get this social exclusion and all these things that we're used to. We still have this, I think, we because the 15-minute city is not going to do much for, for places like Tensta or Rinkeby. Because, like, it's already physically... It's already... it's. Or- it, it's determined by specific space or form. And then I'm always afraid of the 15 minute and one minute city. This is what the case was with New Urban. It's a very much Western product. It's a Western society. So people from Somalia, from, uh, you know, uh, um, other people from Asia, from that, that you have that give this wonderful diversity to places, maybe will not be so, you know, Dan Solomon always used to say, uh, longing for belonging. Can we create places for belonging that people feel, I've come from Somalia, I'm living in San Francisco, but I have a feeling that I still have something of a cultural context of Mogadishu in a way, that I feel that I, I belong somewhere. And if you make a generic product, like a 15-minute city with pop-up things, you know, hipsters will use it, people that ride the electrical bikes. Uh, but there's a lot of good ideas and a lot of good intentions in it. And this is what I think uh, Carlos Moreno said at the Senate. I listened to the talk. I couldn't go to the center uh, for the conference on international making cities livable. And I think it was very humble in saying that, you know, this is based on a number of ideas I've had. People have done it before. And I think he has implemented. And uh, I think all these things are welcomed, Mustafa. I welcome all these new paradigms. But we need to be careful with all of them. Like, be, be, before we talk, we continue talking, what makes, like, a concept uh, become viral? I, I know, like, many urbanism have so many interesting ideas, theories, and concepts. What, what made, like, Carlos Moreno's concept or Daniel or, like, let's say another person became so popular and internationally and... Uh, what what are the elements? Yeah, it's it's that's a great question. I doubt I'm gonna have even close to, to to answering it. I want I also wondered about that too. Is it propelled by this interesting idea that you launch it in a specific urban think tank, which has a specific strength and power, or in a municipality that you show in a showcase project, or you find a patron like a mayor who is wide open to these things, or because some of these things have not come from theory at all. You did not have any of them saying, well, we'll build this on creative class theory by Richard Florida or by the Who Owns the City by Saskia Sassen or by David Harvey's, you know, rebels. No, no. They've come from practice. These people are practitioners. So this is interesting. And this is where urbanism came. People always think it's a, it's a, no, it came from practitioners. That's why it was so successful. So I would say probably the, the more successful, successful movements come from practice. And I would say these people, how they get propelled if somebody does something good in Paris, it's seen by other cities, right? You know, this comes to the whole uh, area of city branding place marketing, um, which I think we had a very good research in our department, which is gone now, unfortunately. Uh, there's been one or two PhDs done. My colleague Chris Jolson has worked on it and others. And I think one would have to go into marketing things and see uh, city branding. Okay, how do we brand a specific thing? It's easy to, to if something becomes... Uh, echoed everywhere if a, if a prominent person or researcher like Setalo or Richard Florida publish it. But if it comes from somebody like Moreno, who was not that visible before, 
Dan Hill, honestly, no disrespect to Dan, I didn't know about him before I heard about the One Minute City. You know, sometimes you can have a good outlook, people around him knew him probably. But now he's, a, he's like, you know, a brand name everywhere. Or Brent, Brent Odarian, who has been behind the Canadian Charter of Urbanism and is the most followed urbanist on Twitter, about 250,000 followers, much more than Florida, has also been advocating the car-free cities and, and transportation-oriented development. Um, so I, I, I can't answer this for, I, 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 I'm going to ask that question to somebody or I will ask myself that question. I guess you talked to Dan and you talked to, I don't know if they said something, how it became viral or. No, I didn't ask them actually about this because, but now I start to think about like many of us with ideas, but what makes an idea became viral and, and people start to believe in it. Like what are the elements? It's like when you do a YouTube video. Okay, you should think about the title, uh, like the camera. There are some elements that makes your YouTube video goes like viral. Absolutely. I mean, if you remember, but then again, this comes from rather prominent researchers, but the concept of social capital, which is not new, uh, it's been discussed in, by different philosophers for, from, from, from a number of decades and decades, became almost prominent when uh, Robert Putnam published Bowling Alone book which was a mega bestseller, saying that, you know, U.S. is losing social cap because we're not bowling together anymore. We're bowling alone, looking at the, and he did it in a very high, heavy quantitative way, looking at the fall of membership in different organization, communities, churches, and so on. Same thing was done with Samuel Huntington when he published an article on Clash of Civilizations, which is a very controversial thing, that we're going to have the clash of, you know, Christian and Islamic civilization, Hindu and Western, and so on. And maybe in many ways, his, it was confirmed. And, but that article in Urban Affairs was like a blow. Uh, those were like in social yeah, sciences. Yeah. In, you know, natural sciences, you have... A, you have People come up with breakthrough findings through experiments and so on. But in our places, it's, it's a brilliant question. Uh, keep it for, it's like, I think we need to think and ponder about this. But I think in these specific cases, I would say it's the, the organizations that they launched the, the thing. Because it was Vinova behind uh, Dan Hill, right? If he was not, if he was, let's say, just a professor in one of the universities where he was based, maybe he wouldn't catch it all. If a lot of, I mean, when you say that, and I had a rather good control most of the books coming out in urbanism. There's so many good things published that I looked yeah, at yeah. That, that Mustafa nobody has a clue about. Maybe a few handful, a few people have read it. And I thought, why, why didn't this become a paradigm? Just died out, it just died. died. It's, uh, so that's why you asked me, do I have a paradigm for future cities? Am I thinking, I don't even dare to think if I can launch this, it has to be something really original and really good. Okay, so even either like a big organization or a mayor believing in it? I think so. Mayor is extremely important because of practice, right? And, and if it comes from a big urban think tank, uh, or if it's launched by already established figure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, with a credible. So when you, when you say that, okay, when it comes to 15-minute city, one-minute city, we need to be careful in implementing. Why? In which way? Uh... Implementing what kind of uh, contextual, uh, when you look at the civic design of different cities, they're different. The layers they've been built upon. As I say, the cards they've been dealt with, like in poker, you don't always get a good hand. Las Vegas didn't get a good hand like Toronto, uh, like uh, Vancouver. <laughs> Vancouver is morphologically, topologically set in an absolute wonder, wondrous position. Las Vegas, what did it have? Desert. And it became a strip, right? And in those, now it's still struggling because of that. 
So some cities have dealt, but of course it 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 uh, won on poker because it brought you started to use the 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 the, the um, uh, entertainment industries on its own benefit and created this model of the strip, which was a model almost uh, you know duplicated in so many cities in the U.S. So it's where do you apply it? What kind of context do you have? What kind of cultural context there is? Uh, what kind of architectural matrix you have? Is it what's what stage is it? Is it a modernist thing? Is it a classic? Is it something from 1910, 20s, 30s? Is it 18th century buildings we have here? Is it completely post-socialist, socialist stuff? Uh, and of course, it's um, let's not fool ourselves. We're not getting rid of the car immediately. If everybody thinks this is going to happen within a few years or something, it's they're they're delusional. Uh, there's a beautiful article, chapter of a book by professor from Luxembourg. Here comes the COVID cloud. Now, I always forget it. Um, it's, it's close to me. I think it's called Sustainable City. And it's, um, uh, I'll try to remember his name. He's a professor of ecology there. And the first chapter deals with how much we're depend, how much are we still living and unfortunately we'll be living for quite a long time in the fossil fuel age dependent society if you shut off the fossil fuels you said in, like in two weeks the whole civilization would collapse we see now with the war with this whole conflict in and the aggression in ukraine how much we're still dependent on, on gas and oil and things like that and you shut it down completely i, I god knows what kind of winter we're going to have anyway so i think it's uh, um uh, that's sort of the implement where do you put it in it's per se the model is good uh, and what I always say, and I always said this to my colleague, Margaret Crawford, I get uh, upset, Margaret, because you are the first one who came this idea of everyday urbanism, which included all these practices of pop-up cities, DIYs, and tactical urbanisms. And nobody gives you credit for this. So I think one would have to sort of, in, in a way, try to see, okay, do we need to readapt to 15 minutes, apply it to something else? Um, and of course, when you come up with a catchy name, Mustafa, One Minute City, as Dan did. Every, everybody's going to wake up, even, even, yeah, the, even the dead are going to wake up and say, oh, so <laughs> what, cool. What is this? Yeah. One minute. Wow. I can't even like, you know, you can steal a car in 60 seconds, but can you, <laughs> can you do chores in 60 seconds? So I think it's the catchy names are also, but that's what Rem said. It's, he was so right. Yeah. So you're like, you don't have a comment on the concept by itself, but. No, I mean the concept there, there's nothing, um. How could you go against all these fine principles inside, right? It's all about walkability, cycling, uh, biophilic society, having services close by, community feeling, uh, uh, places to enjoy nature, uh, have closeness. They're, I don't know if one has to, I've looked at the, the schemes and all that, and it's questionable if they can be achieved, uh, you know, in that way. But uh, the other movements had the same thing, urbanism, tactical urbanism, they all did that had this ecological sens sensibility inside. I mean, if you talk to Bjarke and his hedonic sustainability, even in his architecture buildings, he has this ecological sustainability like maybe no other people. Yangel said, this is a person that really understands public realm. So it's, it's interesting. So I'm not saying you, you cannot have exclusive rights to this. This is what it's important to remember. And you know, SD, I'm seeing the, the SDGs behind you. Uh, the, all these SDGs, I mean, the, the ones that are important for cities are baked into this. So in a way, I think we're in a specific situation. If they came up with this concept 20 years ago, it would have probably died a very painful short death. Nobody would have cared. Do you, do you think that uh, we as urban practitioners are, are like really about like following the latest trends and forgetting like the past and things that work and 
always wants like new things, new concepts and so on. Partially, it's probably true because you find yourself in a specific place where you do work, you have a standard operating procedure. The municipality has these plans, these strategic plans, has detailed plans and so on. So you do a lot of generic work. Uh, and in that generic work, a new, some of these new things are baked in. And also, of course, the old things about dense, dense cities, compact cities, polycentric development, uh, sustainable housing, they kind of follow us throughout the whole thing. Even sometimes you even lose the meaning of what, what it means, what it is, public, good public spaces and so on. So I think uh, it is implemented from, from uh, one perspective, we get into these new things. We tend to forget the good stuff, and this is why the new urbanism had success in a way saying digging out the stuff which was thrown into the garbage during the modernism times. Uh, none of that was applied when there was a, you know, the international style and everything. But of course, one has to look into the, you know, I, I'm not a defender of Robert Moses, but I wrote a very critical article in our anthology about Jane Jacobs, and uh, she's, she was not a saint in, in any ways. Uh, she spoke very little about race, about social urban geographies. Her perspective was very micro-urbanism oriented from the perspective and level of the street. She was a white elderly woman. She had no clue how maybe a, a Latin American woman would feel in a, in a socially impoverished neighborhood. Her perspective was from Toronto neighborhoods and from the North End in Boston. North End in Boston is, is a showcase of... Uh, tourist, uh, beautiful, compact, uh, post, neo, whatever, heritage Italian. And then uh, in her complex um, theory that she's always um, praised, aside from her, of course, brilliance in economics, she really didn't understand the complexity of cities in a way that they need to function as organisms and that they need Robert Moseses. They need the infrastructure. At that time, of course, everything was traffic-oriented. It was those. But this is, that was, you know, as... Alexis Pontagoway says when there was criticism of a specific building, this was the child of that time. Robert Moses, and those were the ch child prospects of that time. Those were the best things that they came up with. If they were wrong, they were wrong. That time was that time. And of course, you know, we can't just build all small new urbanism communities everywhere. No, I, I'm, I'm thinking like, it's like this. Usually we comment the past and we say, oh, what stupid people and what did they do in our city? I mean, like we are commenting now with our data Sure. After 50 years, Absolutely. commenting the past. I mean, imagine go back in that time. Absolutely, Mustafa. That's the brilliant point you make. With these lenses, it's so easy to be post-critical. Yeah. yeah, like in the, I'm 100% sure, like in 50 years, there will be people with the new data criticizing what we are doing now. Absolutely. I had a nice conversation with a good friend of mine, uh, Rahel Alterman, and she said, well, I've seen planning and everything. Now we have this sort of retro uh, transformation of contextual ideas. It's like they were all wrong. Yeah, they yeah. It's like you go, you know, let's say I have a time machine and we go into 1930 and we're going to change everything. It's so ridiculous, so stupid. It's so, I mean, these people are absolutely delusional. Forget it. That's how it is. Now we have learned different yeah. ideas. We, we go have, forward. We have to fix it. Like, yes. You know, like, what do you say? Urbanism, to fix urban, bad urbanism. Yeah, this is, a, this was what uh, James, our counselor used yeah. to say in one of our talks when, when I brought him, he said, when he was angry, he was, at, he was in, in war with landscape mm. urbanism and they were bringing nature into the city. Although, for example, projects like Highline are absolutely beautiful. And he said, you cannot fix mutilated urbanism by nature itself. You mm. can only fix it by good urbanism. Yeah. And what good urbanism is, that's another story. Before we go to talk about the one-line city, so what should we as an urban practitioner think before we start to apply these concepts in reality? What First should we of all, keep, in, keep in mind? Think of where it's coming from. 
how was it developed? Uh, what are the grounds for it? Who has developed it? Nothing personal, you know, it could be X, Y, Z persons. And where did they develop it? What, 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 what was their plan for doing it? Secondly, does it have a generic applicability? What are the general lessons we can learn from it? If it's being implemented in the city of Paris, doesn't, know, doesn't mean it's going to work for Buenos Aires. Maybe it will. Of course, a lot of Latin American cities have the European structure. There's a lot of cities where I think 15-minute cities is a wonderful concept. But then remember the, the neighborhood shed, the five-minute walk, uh, the TOD station, 15 minutes urbanism thing, the Clarence Perry model, the 20-minute neighborhood in Australia, the UK stuff. Everybody's been doing this in a way. They've been trying to answer these questions and and and. and and put these um, alternatives, everything from the garden cities and beyond and so on. So there's always been uh, some kind of, a, 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 um, there was a need in our disciplines to come up with something new. And I think Rem was right in that way. We, we, it's, a, it's a perpetual thing. But that's the one thing to see, can it be applicable? Where are we applying it? And what can we extract something which is good out of it? Maybe sometimes not the whole model is very good, uh, but of course, you know, and sometimes you might nothing in this case, I'm not saying it's it's true, not at all. But sometimes, you know, if you put the SDGs as your who's going to going to go against that? This is like the whole world community has accepted the, the which, by the way, Richard Fuller wanted to be city, not SDG, sustainable yeah. development goals, but city development goals, which in a way, because he wanted to say, you know, the cities are the biggest problems we have. So it's the SDGs. Then you go against that. Whoa. And that's, yeah. that's an ideology, which is good. It's all for us. Yeah. So, you know, which I'm again, thinking about European Union as these two approaches. Now one is the Bauhaus writing, and then the other one is the green, uh, whatever. I, I haven't gone and looked into the documents. I know in Roscoe, this uh, rebuild Ukraine, we're using them, but it's like question. Okay. Is this, is this the best way to go about it? I don't know. Maybe. When, when, now, when you're working like uh, on uh, building Ukraine, do you, do you say, okay, let's um, implement 15-minute city here. Let's go for this. How is the discussion? It's it's a very broad discussion. And when I participate in the, in in the in the in the beginnings when we were putting this up, it's run by people from Ukraine and also excellent people from Holland and England and so on. Uh, there's a lot of discussion that one needs to understand. There's and I brought this also question in the macro, the meso, and the micro scale. I think this is important. This is what I'm always very uh, grateful that I done a PhD within regional planning that I sort of kind of understand there is the macro metropolitan scale, then there's the neighborhood one, as Peter Kaltorp said, whatever you do in a 15, let's say, minute city, it will have repercussions on the metro level. It will have something on the re-urban or rural areas. There will be some connection, either in traffic or exchange of goods and services or whatever. So I think they're thinking in, in, in a meta way. Uh, and of course, there's something, sometimes you rush into these reconstructions, like there was one in the former Yugoslavia, a lot of money was wasted into nothing. A lot of billions were wasted because there was a rush, okay, what do we do? Of course, after wars, now in Ukraine, you're yeah. going to have to rebuild the main services, infrastructure, water, waste, sewage, electricity, telecommunications. Then the big question of housing comes in. Do you rebuild it the new way? And this is, I think, people already thinking about the 15-minute city and thinking about some kind of a compact polycentric development. But some are also saying this heritage that we had, it's something that maybe we should also keep or rebuild. So it's a, uh, we'll see what it comes to. It's a very complex thing. And that's why I was like happy to be over with the record. And now I'm back into it partially again. I'm thinking, oh gosh. Do, do you believe that uh, the concept that's coming out now within urbanism will stay if in within like 
20 years from now that we keep... If we look what we had before uh, in our recent history, that's new urbanism, sustainable urbanism, right? Biophilic cities never really took off as one would have expected. Uh, some of my colleagues were very much involved. Timothy Beatley was, was one of the uh, propagators of the moon. He wrote a beautiful book about it. And that was very much about, um, you know, uh, living with nature. Uh, not living in nature, but living with nature. And that means also growing food in the cities. It's, yeah. it's all these things. And that was a big hype about that. Uh, my colleague, Carmen Bradley, has worked with circular economies. That has taken off. And we see there's financing for that continuously. That's become all. But these are all become streamlined, you know, normal middle of the road things. Uh, new urbanism, nobody talks about it. But if you look about it, it's always been there prominent for 30 years. Uh, but let us not forget, it was propelled by a massive movement in a way. Almost, you know, every municipality had somebody who was advocating it. Schools were adopting to at least two or three schools. Uh, uh, membership was huge. There is no membership for 15-minute city. And there is no unison feeling that this is a new paradigm that should be implemented in the European Union. I think European, I'm afraid of having these grand schemes. Uh, I think countries should be left and cities to develop on their best using, knowing where we are. And we all are sensible now. We know, you know, we can't continue like this. So we're going to use the most sustainable practices we have. But at the end of the day, Mustafa, I think the, the price will be paid by the low-income communities. And whatever you implement, how is this going to benefit a slum in Dharavi, right? A slum in, 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 in Bogota, a slum in, uh, I don't know, in, in Lagos. And of course, they're going to have, they have their organic life and they have their own metaphysics and they have their own structure. But if somebody goes, I remember Harvard School wanted to go into um, Dharavi and start to build these one houses. It was a pure disaster. They produced some kind of academic model that's going to replace the shacks there. Disaster. So in a, in a way, it will benefit a specific planning scheme, specific city, specific context. Somewhere it will not be implementable, but then we turn to something else. So I think it's, the, the diversity is great. And uh, I think it will last, but I can't judge for how long. Uh, will something else replace it? I don't know. Depending on you know, what's going to happen in, 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 in economy, in politics, in, in our geographical uh, major tectonic transformations. I mean, post-disaster planning becomes almost like a must now. You know, the rising sea levels, everything. And 15-minute city has nothing to do with these things. These are major things that you know, cities need to prepare. That's resilience in a way. I, was, I, I welcomed that concept when it came in. I like that very much, much more than sustainability because sustainability was like, you know, we keep the game as it is. Let's not screw it up more. But resilience was a no, we go proactively in, and we fight and we, you know, stop the... the uh, yeah. What do, you, what do you think about... Okay, now I have two things. One line city and placemaking. So what do you think about the one line city in Saudi Arabia? I've been reading quite a lot recently about yeah, it. I, I, I mean, yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> and uh, and right. both of us have experience from the Gulf region, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, Qatar. And one sees these cities and you wonder, I think Prince Salman is thinking, okay, I'm going to bring something new in. Completely, you know, there was a comment recently made on one of the articles of my good friend Stefan Lehmann, who's been working with this, and he said he was defending the, the lie, saying, wait a minute. This must be that people are testing the ground as a think tank. This is a think tank, which will ah, never get realized. They thought it's like a pilot. Yeah, and he said it's never going to realize, but they just want to see the reactions of people and everything. And, and then, of course, he was attacked. 
but I think there might be some truth in it in a way. Uh, um, maybe it will be some kind of a, a experimentation zone. Of course, when you look at it, what is it? We're talking about six million people. Is it six or yeah. six million people? Horizontal city. Linear cities have had a bad track record in in, in history. <laughs> uh, the one which was criticized by Jan Gilda was Copenhagen in um, uh, Sydstad, right? Sydstad, where Bjarke Engels has his famous buildings. And I visited, uh, we took students there. You know, it's based on transportation, very difficult to create any public space when it's like a linear thing uh, flanked by architectural masterpieces and so on. And then you have Soria Mate, you go back, then you have, of course, Corbusier and all these things. But we're different, living in a different age. We have to remember this is one of the richest regions in the world. Uh, they can do whatever they want. Although the economic cities which were planned there, right, they're more or less haven't been realized. We work actually with Saudi Arabia. We did, we did that in our center. We still have something which we're close, uh, working with them. It's very nice to see their way of thinking. And of course, they're also longing for things that we talk about, the community feeling, yeah. the regional perspective and so on. Uh, also, the thing is that um, um, it will be questionable, how, even if this is developed, if we get into a major crisis, how this will be uh, managed. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, it's a combination of smart cities, uh, of uh, some kind of a supersonic hyper community. Uh, it's sort of like uh, Elon Musk came in and he had something to do with the Marvel movies. And, you know, uh, it's, it's an extraordinary visionary project in a way. It's, it reminds me of, you know, it's not even Blade Runner. It's post Blade Runner world. Uh, it's missions to Mars. But um, one is afraid, you know, where will it end? Is it just a testing ground for ideas that will maybe never be implemented? Because you, you visited Mazdar, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I know when Ulf and I were there, it was just beginning. We were very, very worried that this is not going to happen in, in, in the end. And we thought, oh, gosh, this is, it's going to be very, very difficult. Again, it was something which is car oriented. Uh, and, and then uh, you had this huge airport nearby and it almost feels like a, suburban development, a mega suburban ecological development. So either it's a think tank, either it's this fantastic uh, the idea that the prince has that wants to build, um, but it's a different context. And I, after Dubai and uh, in Abu Dhabi, which has a different sensibility, Abu yeah. Dhabi went to the different, which I think is good. Uh, I'm not, I'm, I, I can believe anything is possible. I think it's, it's possible, but I, I'm living in this age, this, this is such an enormous undertaking uh, that, you know, it's, and which we always thought, you know, Dubai could never happen. It did happen. Yeah. And it happened. And now it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the wonders of the modern contemporary world, regardless of what you can think of urbanism, architecture, whatever. And your urbanists work there. Everybody went down there to work. Yeah. Uh, so either it's a think tank for testing ideas, either it's something that might happen in a limited, a limited level limited scale that means that would be the worst thing if it's something you know little is built not the whole thing and also who are the people who are going to live here who is going to be moving into the city of six million people right who moves in and then do you implement all these smart technologies of course i think there is a and this is not a saudi fault at all there is a fault and i'm i'm extremely worried about this delusional thing about this mars stuff you know we're gonna live on mars we're gonna have colonies Mustafa, we're not able to build a small calling on the moon. And, you know, yes, the person walked on the moon not that long ago when Kennedy, and we remember how much it took. So I know Elon Musk is in, Jeff Bezos, they're, they're living in a, in a strange world, but I think it's a delusional world. 
And if these, when these persons disappear from the scene, I doubt we're going to have these missions to Mars and colonies. So, but of course, it's right now in architecture, due to parametrics and everything's happening, architectural design, everything is possible. Everything is buildable. Uh, if you put the money in and so on. Uh, but I remember we used to show in our master studios these movies, uh, different from, and there was a movie now, I think it was one movie in Saudi Arabia with Tom Hanks, which called, um, I can't remember, it was coming in and there was a big IT tech company being built in the middle of the desert and in the housing, but everything kind of stopped halfway. So um, I, it's very difficult to know. Um, I should be maybe as a more traditional, let's say, urbanist in a way that I still maybe have a little piece of me be, be very critical. Um, I, I know a lot of my colleagues are critical of the, the idea of the linear city because it didn't work. But this, is, this almost has nothing to do more anymore with linear cities because it's bringing these incredible technologies into, into place. And the smart city, I think, uh, of course, building in the desert, it will be, as uh, one of my famous comedians that I like, Bill Maher, says where many countries are now importing sand sand is running out so if you're running out of sand it's like okay let's let's see what the big problem for me is of course for the, the on the global scale this is what sir jonathan um is it barnett if i remember he was the main advisor to the uk government on sustainability uk government had uh, only government in the world would have had an advisor on the government scale on, yeah. on sustainable cities and then he resigned knowing what's coming. And he said the biggest thing that's coming, that the, this storm is going to hit us, it's the question of uh, sustainable food production, food production in, in, in general, the, the lack of you know, resources and the water scarcity. And we know the Gulf region, you know, it's the water, and I, that they've dealt with it pretty well in the Gulf, in, in, in the Gulf states. Uh, so let's see how it develops. I think I will need to read more. But right now it looks like an incredible uh, science fiction project. Yeah, but the, like from history and studies, do you think this will work or not? Based on what we did before, you mean if we from the pyramids of Giza to to the to the churches in Rome? Yeah, uh, we've always had these benefactors. I mean, if Prince Salman puts a lot of money in, you're gonna get all the architects coming down. Uh, we see. I think there was an article recently in the Zine about the ten major new future cities. One is being built in South Korea. One is in the U.S. One is in India. One is in Saudi Arabia. Uh, one is in. Um, was it Singapore? Singapore, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And there was one more. And they, they were very different. They had very different structures. All of them, and it was Oma, Bjarke Engels involved, and yeah. all that. They have different structures and sensibilities. I would presume here, like in other projects, you get involved, Bjarke in one piece, Sir Norman Foster in the exactly. second one, and you, they build pieces of it. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, I'm always worried when Norman Foster comes in. <laughs> Why? Not, not just like, oh gosh, he's already said he's going to rebuild the city of Kharkiv in Ukraine. And then you think, rebuild in which way? And this reminds you of this, this terrible, terrible domination of architecture, which I once said to Christina Alvendal in one of the seminars in, in Uplan Svesby, I said, you know, Christina, why, why are we having these architectural programs for cities? I've never seen an urbanism program for a city. Oh, Tigran, we can't have any more programs. We have enough. <laughs> but why can't we replace the architectural yeah. program? Why, why, why the hell do we have that? Mm. Let, let the architecture be part of urbanism, not urbanism part okay. of architecture. True. And this is why, you know, our, Norman Foster is not an urbanist. Mm. People think he's an urbanist. Bjarke Ingels is not an urbanist either, but they're all urbanists now. True. So in a sense, they have hijacked urbanism, which Rem has so brilliantly talked about yeah. before, yeah. which I didn't believe before. Now I do. 
So uh, I, I'm worried, uh, you know, I, I'm afraid it's not going to be built. At all? No, maybe modulary, something yeah. will be built. If it be becomes uh, Mustafa built, I will resign and become a cook. I like cooking also, <laughs> I'll take a school. I promise you, I'll make you a bet. If it becomes, if we're alive, I will, I will be ready a pensioner by then. Yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know because uh, the, the last thing, this collapsed, you know, with the economic cities and all that. There was uh, so much hype and not much was done. What about the traditional urbanism, the communities? We yeah. discussed with, the, uh, with our colleagues in Abu Dhabi and uh, also, you know, what about the, the, the traditional things? Yeah. What about but the authentic Abu Dhabi? So one of my colleagues just did her PhD on Manama in, in, in Bahrain and also talked about, you know, the visions that were done and do they really reflect what the heritage? The, the, your community. And the community yeah. wants, and they can speak about that. So yeah. it's, it's because I think Saudi Arabia has wonderful cities and has wonderful history, which instead of maybe a linear city, you can build on that. Yeah, and that is placemaking, right? Exactly. In a way. Yeah, because mm. this is my question, my, ne my next question. Mm. Like, instead of fixing our existing cities, why are we, are we building new? And why are we building on the moon or That's true. somewhere? I mean, like, what, what, what is your reflection? I, I've been in Cairo a long time ago. I, I, I understand it's an oversaturated city. Cairo yeah. is exploding. It's a mega city. And of course, this was the way, and remember there's these new cities being city created outside, basically driven by real estate developers um, instead of real planners. Uh, it's a necessity in a way, but again, how it's done, maybe it should have been done in smaller scale, more in a polycentric way of development and so on. I mean, some countries, again, like Slovenia, who's, who's almost on the top of the charts when it comes to polycentric development, is a country which has well, you know, buried 3 million or something, 4 million people with small cities. And they, they, their development is already done in that sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, the historic cities, why like Geneva or Zurich or Vienna, this is, you know, they're already done by so many layers of history. So in a, in a way, history is, is at peace with, with itself there. There's no tectonic uh, movements anymore. And these new things, uh, history hasn't settled. That's my new term. History hasn't settled in specific times, urban history. And here there's a, there's a need, of course, you know, I'm a new upcoming ruler. I have these new grand ideas. I'm, I'm a reformer. Uh, and of course, people in history have done that. I have these commissions and I will be remembered by this. I will be remembered yeah, as a great yeah. figure. I'm sure that's in his head, Prince Salman's. And I think it's great. I, I commend that. But instead of maybe this, Get, get, get an advisory board of 20 maybe smartest urbanisms around, urbanists around the world. And when I say urbanists, I mean urban sociologists, yeah. urban economists, uh, planners, designers. Not only architects. No, 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 God, no. They should be in minority. <laughs> and then ask them, this is the problems we have in Saudi Arabia, in the kingdom? This is what we would like to do. I mean, people are already doing that through the consult consultancy. I mean, when I was in Abu Dhabi, it was swarming. And they were like... They were not buzzing in a good way, these UK English consultants. They were there because of the money. Uh, so I think uh, some kind of an advisory board and say, what would be the best for Saudi Arabia? You know, like countries should set, a, set up a, a strategy of the coming three to five, 10 years. This is, the line, this is what I have an idea for the line. And I don't know, I think he's, um, the advisors for this project are people from the movie industry and also from the star architect corner, Foster and Hollywood and, and Marvel Comics and uh, all these science high-tech companies, certainly Amazon and whatever, Tesla, because they see enormous potential for their companies and their products and, and the way they, they do things yeah. that they can implement because you can't do this everywhere. No. So through history, like building a, a new, a completely new city. Is it working or not? 
I think we had, we talked about Chandigarh right before, then we have this, there was, I don't know if that was completed, that Romanian cities, then we have the new capital. Where was that new capital? Was it in, uh, in, in Malaysia or, right? Uh, one would have to, that's actually a great project to do. That's something good to do, to see if the new cities that have been being built, remember there was a city being built in the UK, it was um, um, Milton Keynes. That that was that was a different. Now it functions very well. I remember, there was a lot of criticism when I was an architectural student. Uh, how are they functioning? What are their deficiencies? Uh, were they ever built? A lot of them was never built. Uh, like you know, thousands of different projects in architecture and urbanism were never built. Some of them actually looked pretty good. I mean, if you remember, even 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 the uh, the quality projects of these Arcosanti with that thing that never really took ground. That never got replicated. Uh, so I think that could be a good thing to see, has anything functioned well, or, I mean, we, we've had new cities or at least extensions to cities, city yeah. districts being built uh, and all that. Uh, building, I think the idea is building on, on what you already have. So that means if you look at a city like Las Vegas, okay, let's see what are the biggest problems, water, this and that, how can we rebuild it into a more sustainable cities? I think a lot of that is being done in schools. So I think in the same in the Saudi Arabia, what are the greatest challenges? Can we, instead of, of this magnificent mega uh, science fiction, high-tech Marvel project to do something else? Because history tells us linear cities do not work. And I'm, I'm not saying like, this like from, from, you know, from, from the movie on the YouTube, like everything is going to function perfectly, you know? Some of the critics say it's easy to make a YouTube movie. I don't <laughs> believe that because Hollywood can make just about anything. Uh, so, uh, yeah, the movie, the movie is incredible, but so were the other movies for, you know, for things that never got realized. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to go back to the drawing boards and look at it into the details. I would, it would be nice to, um, to get somebody who was involved in 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 the project to to see okay what what what, what is really assembled from uh, because we we get these reports from different uh, journalists from architectural planners uh, the overall i've seen comments on all the articles are very critical yeah same here like it's only people work kind of within the project they they defend the project they defend it and then but there's some people else, that I, says wait a minute let's let's give give peace give a, them chance. a chance yeah yeah and i think uh, stefan is closest to the ones uh, that feels this maybe this is an urban think tank uh, testing ideas not impossible so that means if modules are done you know, you can never, never criticize that if they're equipped well. How do you get to them? So do, do you mean that, okay, let's wait until they build it and then, then we can evaluate? Or Absol no, already from the beginning, I, cut I, it off? I no. guess so, no. Maybe, maybe this is a testing ground for the Mars colony. Okay. Because it, I'm not saying Saudi Arabian soil was like Mars, but hey, we're talking about a desert country mostly, right? And this strip of land is almost you're going to build from nothing. And, and the climate... You know, everything, whatever we expect in Mars, it's not going to be, you know, it's not going to be fun. So it will be, I you never know. So everybody, there's a lot of people having vested interest. And then you have this great patron saying it, let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, exactly. Uh, so I'm, I'm, you know, I get slammed maybe from, from, from my tr full former traditional friends. I, I don't, I think I'm on, on Stefan's line. It's a think tank. Let, let's see what happens. Let's see. Let's see. But do you, do you imagine yourself living in a linear city? Well, that means uh, the best example I could take is the seed start, right? Uh, the one in Copenhagen. Uh, not really. Can I be honest with you? No, I don't think so. 
I, I, then I, maybe I would be advocate of the 15 minute or I would ride a walk. I, that means I would have to take the, you know, some kind of a commuter train or light railway and all that to get me back to Copenhagen. So that means I'm a more an advocate. Uh, I had a question recently who asked me somewhere, uh, where would you like to live? Uh, it was, oh, it was Brent Todarian on Twitter. Uh, what, what would be the city you would uh, move to from your current city? And I, my tweet got retweeted a lot. Brent retweeted it right away. And I said, next city for me would be city of Zurich. And I, I said, why? It's, uh, you know, you have culture, you have nature close by, you have walkability, you have layers of history, you have the best transportation, public transportation in the world. You have close by countries in Europe that are beautiful. Uh, you have good uh, questions of housing solved. Of course, the economics, uh, the economic parameters are difficult because it's a very uh, expensive country. But even for those that are not well off, they can survive in Switzerland. Uh, so I said I would probably move to Zurich. I would like to become a citizen of Zurich. Yes. So the last uh, section of this episode is about placemaking. Yeah. We commented the the concepts: fifteen minute city, right. one minute city, linear city, or one. Is it no, not the one line city? It's like line city. Uh, yeah, it's it's a linear yeah, city yeah, in a way. City. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. it's Soria Mata's uh, example. I, I recommend everybody to look at that example. Okay, uh, uh, place making. Yeah, it's growing up from the 1970s. Sure. What did Margaret Crawford saw in our Athena lectures where we had these 25 uh, prominent female scholars? She said, <laughs> "Place making is a feel good. It's like you know, uh, what's that song from the cocktail movie? Uh, hippie." Um, with Tom Cruise, uh, I don't know, but she said it's at times it's um, she's worried that the the concept is uh, so generically implemented everywhere, and that people think that the results of it will be wonderful for everybody. And then she showed these cases for the low income communities in a way that you know, even if you build a sand square or whatever in Detroit, middle of Detroit, how much is that going to help some of the neighborhoods in Detroit, people that are less well off, they never could venture there. I think placemaking, we had a PhD, Ryan Locke did a PhD in placemaking using Detroit as an example. He also looked at it in, in theoretical perspectives how the concept was built, applied. Uh, placemaking has been something which Project for Public Spaces have been advocating for almost 50 years. And uh, we know it's uh, Fred Kent. Uh, also, Jan Gale was one of those first uh, people there. Um, it's really the, the focus on the qualities of the public realm. How can public realm becomes a focal point for doing cities better, for making livable places? And that means not just the, the European traditional squares, which Leonard and Leonard advocated, but also market squares, uh, marketplaces, uh, street corners, uh, different smaller street pockets, uh, pedestrian pockets, neighborhood pockets, and so on. So in a sense, it's a, it's a, it's an, I like the name of placemaking. This was supposed to be our, our uh, guiding line in the F Conference for Future Places, which was supposed to come into the final document in Quito, but unfortunately did not. I think that was a mistake because it was an already established concept. And here we come to that thing, as you say, you know, you want to establish something else. Uh, I remember there was even an idea, let's establish public spaces as a, as a separate academic discipline. Impossible. It's almost impossible. It's shared by so many disciplines. It's a theme for research. It's, it's a field, maybe, of inquiry. Uh, like, but it's not a discipline. It will never become a discipline. But placemaking has been an established practice concept that practitioners used uh, quite a lot and uh, advocated by PPS by their practice-oriented, 
you know, William White observational studies. In terms of theory, theory uh, LFM Pafka had written a beautiful article on observation as part of the, um, in a way, uh, sort of these epistemological approaches in urbanism where you have people like Christopher Alexander, where you have Kevin Lynch, more analytical, where you have uh, Alan Jacobs, uh, uh, Jane Jacobs, either by observation or, or collecting on the ground uh, um, data by different ways and then producing knowledge or producing what you see, what cities work and what cities don't work. And then, of course, Stephen Marshall criticized urban design as a quasi-science. Nobody said it's a, it's a science in a way. But I think that, that part is, um, it's, it's an accepted global concept. We have this, you know, Gale has been using and Gale has been extremely uh, uh, um, successful in, in, in having followers of this, uh, PPS, Tipo, you name it. Uh, so uh, in a sense, one has to be careful uh, about everything, but in a way, who does it benefit? Was it, and how is it being employed? Uh, there is no generic, uh, in a way, I would say probably um, PPS has developed the biggest sort of uh, vocabulary some kind of a syntax and grammar for for placemaking, uh, while the others have just used this as a term for refurbishing or, you know, uh, revitalizing places. So when PPS comes in, you know what to expect, what kind of a placemaking scheme there is. But then again, placemaking is also used uh, indiscriminately for all kinds of things. Uh, but again, as a concept, it's two words that are together. Sometimes you don't know if there's a hyphen or if they're separated or is a placemaking. That means you have an intention to make a place, uh, not let it, as Margaret Crawford said, through everyday urbanism, develop organically or develop through the storytelling of people or through the practices of the neighborhood. No, you come with a specific, you advise a city, you advise planners, you advise people. Of course, PPS will tell you we always include the people. Who doesn't? Urbanists also have their schemes of community charrettes that they come up with two or three proposals. Uh, we have that here in Sweden in different ways, always. Uh, people get involved. Uh, so I'm, I'm kind of benevolent about it. Um, I'm not, not pro or opposition. I think it's an important thing that needs to be included. In a way, when you deal with public spaces, this is a must to be part of the, the whole vocabulary that we, we do. I think it's, uh, it's, it's a compliment. And in a way, you can see 15-minute city as a placemaking scheme. What, what, what else is it, Mustafa, right? So, uh, depends what kind of... I, sometimes I, before I didn't like discourse analysis, I actually like it a lot now. Uh, and it's what kind of loaded meanings do we put into words? How are they uh, interpreted? Who interprets them? Who benefits from them? How are they employed in different contexts? That will depend what kind of placemaking you talk about. Exactly, yeah, of, of could course. Could be segregation placemaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, could, be, could be, you know... Why wouldn't the, the line uh, normally be, be a placemaking scheme? Obviously it is. It will help places, right? It's trying to create a place. It's changing a place. So sure. for Yeah, it better, depends on how you, how, sure. you, how you tell the story of this Yeah, for of better or worse, it's, 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 it's being done. Yeah. No, it's interesting to, to listen to your perspective, and I'm very grateful that you're here and, and, and sharing Thank you. with us. Thank you. It's, it's, all this is, is, is uh, <laughs> I wanted to say make-believe world. No, no, no. But I like to come unprepared, so I, I, get, I get inspired by people like you, and then uh, we you. let it flow. But uh, these are the things I've been thinking about, and again, I think it's good that we have this 
sometimes I think this is important to say there is a bit of a oversaturation by the production in this field. And what I mean production, it's the texts, the books and the papers. I've never seen so many books come out on urbanism <laughs> right now and you can actually digest them. Some are very good, some die a very painful life, some, you know, pass the radar and are smuggled and it's like so many good ideas are gone. There's a lot of bad ideas out there. There's a lot of useless writing, I'm sorry to say. It's like, what is this for? <laughs> Who is this intended to? Uh, but I'm always kind of uh, sorry that I would like to see more done on writings and more research and more solutions for housing, for low-income housing. Housing is one of our biggest uh, cancers in, in every place around the world. And that's your first place, Mustafa. Second place is work. And then third place is the public sp realm. Yeah, like the, the prioritize. I can live without uh, bistros and, and coffee shops, but I can't live without a roof over my head. So in the end of uh, this episode, it's about you giving messages. And if you don't mind, I will take a, make a video of this. Put on, yeah. So the first one is going to be about you giving a message to yourself. Uh, a message to myself would be... Um, Never stop uh, thinking there might be innovations and, and new thinking, new ideas within urbanism. It's it's an enormous field of thinking about the transformation of cities from all kinds of perspectives where physical form is a very important uh, place. Uh, and also uh, each context uh, requires a specific uh, approach. So I'll never stop believing in those two things. Yeah. And uh, and now a message to all the listeners, urban practitioners, three takeaway messages. I thought you were going to say one minute, one minute message. <laughs> Espresso shop. Yeah. Uh, three takeaway messages, right? Um, try not to stick to your own embedded original first uh, idea or ideology about city making place making uh, and urbanism uh, not meaning that you need to transform and uh, you know change ideas all the times but you need to adapt and be be uh, susceptible to adaptation and and to change second takeaway is that um History cannot be jumped over in different phases. Uh, history has a specific flow and a red thread. That means we can learn from good examples and from bad examples. And then there is a specific urban historical development for cities and municipalities and neighborhoods and so on. So in, in a sense, what I want to say, ideas are always being built by from different ideas. It's, it's an overlay of ideas. And we are just one little puzzle in the coming line linear city of ideas that's going to happen and the third takeaway it's uh i'm gonna copy you now mustafa it's uh stars uh, don't stop believing in cities right uh, love cities and love urbanism but um after the covid 19 pandemic and everything uh and i said of course uh, do not be stuck in the embedded uh, ideology or ideas that you had before. There's always a need to change. But also, in a way, uh, remember that there's something outside of cities too. And that a smaller community, smaller towns, smaller urban villages, and also the rural areas. And people are humans there too. And they live their lives, and maybe some of them are living in better lives than we are living in cities. So 
think uh, think being take think big work small uh, be a global architect and planner and uh, the last question is going to to be you asking it to us so what is your question to me and to the listeners uh why well, I, I didn't really have a question i just had a demand that you do not stop doing what you're doing mustafa you have to you have to keep the momentum going and keep us alive you must remind me about before the end of the world these radio <laughs> hosts <laughs> Uh, uh but i think it's um a question for you would be not a question but uh, something to think about is that i would say um try to influence the coming generation of planners and architects and urbanists through what you're doing and through the different ideas by critically assessing and uh, uh bringing practice closer because i know you are one of those bridges between practice and, and academia and i think we're going to have to have need of that much much more because we have the sensibility ecological us now but it's now how do we do the best things so uh i i don't demand anything but I, that that's my sort of suggestion to you so i don't have a question for you uh, i wish i had you had the <laughs> you had got you got the old answers yeah thank you so much and i'm always you know you know this like every time i talk to you I'm, i get so much inspiration so much motivation so thank you so much thank and so much. Thank you Mustafa it was wonderful to to be um uh, to guest in this number one urban podcast in the world Urbanistica Well, thank you so much for listening to Urbanistica podcast. I hope you really enjoyed this episode. You learned something new and also got inspired by the guest. Don't forget to share the episode on your social media and recommend it to people you think they are really interested in this topic. Thank you so much again for giving your valuable time to Urbanistica podcast. I am Mustafa Sharif. Keep up the good work. Keep loving cities.